silence, please. Welcome to MIA, Mixed in America. I am your host, Damian Dorn, a.k.a. Mr. Green Bay. This is the show where you go to hear truth, facts, and experience from black to white, exposing the gray area behind the stereotypes of America. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to Mixed in America. And once again, I am your host, Damian Dorn, and uh, I'm super excited about this topic. Uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, uh, something that I've grown to uh, learn the differences or the gray area in America, if you will, based on this topic itself. Uh, today's episode is not black enough, not white enough. <laughs> I know a lot of you out there thinking like, okay, he's pushing the racial agenda, but quite contrary. I'm actually looking to expose the fact that it doesn't matter the color of your skin, that the cultural confinements or conditioning, um, regardless, you're just not enough if you let somebody else tell it. So I guess really the moral of the story is, is that you are enough regardless of the color of your skin. Um, I was having a conversation with a gentleman that I met in college and you know, I'll tell you, uh, when I heard this man say what what we're about to discuss, it just blew my mind. And I was just like, you know what? I got to get this man on this podcast. So um, I'm super excited to introduce to the world my next guest. And, you know, it's an honor and a privilege and a blessing to be able to have this conversation with this gentleman. As you get to learn more about him and his story, you understand that he's been through quite a journey. So, um, you know, I heard this man say something and we're going to touch base on it. But before we touch base on it, let's get to know who we're talking to today. So, uh, my friend, if you would like to, you know, give us a brief introduction, uh, let us know who you are and where you're from. And um, I'll take it from there. Definitely. Well, my name is Monroe Brooks. Uh, I was born in Palatine, Illinois. Well, I, I was originally born in Chicago, but I, I was very fortunate at a my father. Um, we lived in the Cabrini Greens projects before it got tore down. And my father uh, encouraged my mom to uh, um, get Section 8. So we were actually one of the my mom was one of the first ones to get it. And so we moved to uh, Palatine, Illinois. And so from there, I've uh, called that my home. And I was very fortunate to go there from um, elementary school to junior high and to high school. Awesome. And for the listeners um, that don't necessarily um, know the area or been to Illinois, um, how far is Palatine from Chicago? Definitely. It's about a 45-minute drive. For, it's, it's the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And it's an actual suburb. Like, Chicago's huge. Everybody knows that. But Palatine is like a fraction of Chicago, right? Definitely, definitely. It's probably about 350,000 people. Okay, so just a little bit bigger than Green Bay here. So I think Green Bay, with all the surrounding areas, where I think we're about 220, maybe uh, 220,000. Um, so I uh, grew up in Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago. A lot of my listeners know that. Uh, moved to Green Bay when I was 12 years old. What age were you when you moved to Palatine? We moved to the suburbs when I was r- roughly about four, and then from from there, from then on, every year we've kind of like we moved from like Hoffman Estates to Arlington Heights, and then from Arlington Heights to Buffalo Grove, and then Buffalo Grove to Palatine. You know, let's let's talk about time frame so people can have a reference of time frame. So when did, when would you say your run in the suburbs was in the nineties? I would say my run in the suburbs were you know. 
to be honest, uh, it, it, it was so much to where which all I know is the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Instead of I don't remember the um, being in, in in the Cabrini Greens project projects is kind of a. Uh, been kind of like a uh, a distant memory definitely like a a folk story mm-hmm. my mom likes sure. to say you sure know? sure don't really have those uh recollections i don't i don't you know and so um but my oldest brother does and and that's where you know i, I get a lot of the stories from and the stories he has said about our childhood and the stories that i have said are, are vastly different with us only being four years apart you know so oh wow so in four years, a lot can change. Definitely, you know, definitely. you can get a degree in four years, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so definitely. a lot could change in four years. So let me ask you this then. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in the suburbs as a black male, and uh, you're a big guy, so you're definitely. D- definitely how tall are you? Uh, six six. Six six. Okay, so I'm about six four and a half, six five, somewhere in there. I look about six foot next to you, but um, so obviously growing up in the suburbs, even though it was close to Chicago, was there a racial divide in the suburbs when? you were growing up when i was growing up um at first um there wasn't but it in my eyes and and but i I did have to find out later that for from from other african-americans uh who were in palatine that it was uh, a little different from them but um i said to start the story uh, in in we were only allowed to go a couple of blocks away from the house. And so right. one of the first memories of me meeting my first friend in Palatine was that walking outside and going to the right and just going down the block and seeing my first friend, Eddie. And then from, from there, um, I met Eddie and then the people who lived in that block, Heather and, you know, Sam, all, all being great Caucasian uh, male and female. Sure. And then um, we later then, you know, meet a couple of other, you know, great great um caucasian people on our block and so for at least the, the, the first because i moved during the summer for the first three months i actually didn't know that there was another uh african person who lived in Palestine. you know so, so what year is this you think this was in 1997 oh wow yeah. so even in 97 mm-hmm. you were in a town where for a while you were like, yo, I'm it. Yeah. But I, I was actually very fortunate wow. to go to a school for a year and a half to be the only black person in the school. Yeah, it, it was it was in Arlington Heights. I remember just walking in the halls and just a lot of my here comes the mixed feelings in my eyes, because I remember a lot of um, encouraging words. of, Hey, we're going to get. Uh, a black teacher teacher next year, or I heard that there were going to be another black student like next year, and, and and so to me, at a young age, building that, uh, if a Caucasian person says, all I know is a Caucasian person, quote unquote, being nice as far as you know, hey, we'll get another one next year, we'll, another one will be here, but then uh, growing up and being like, hey, well. A white person is not supposed to say that. You're like, right. oh, wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> so right. it's like uh, a lot of my years uh, uh, growing up, conjunctively, what I remember is is just conforming to that belief, you know? And, wow. And um, then moving into into Palatine, mm-hmm. and then moving into Palatine, um, you know, uh, for that brief stint of three months not knowing that there was another African-American um, <laughs> male or anybody there. You know, then going to that school that next semester and then finding out that, you know, I actually live um, 
five blocks away. It was just like a, a, a long road. Um, it wasn't too long. You can get there on your bike in about 10 minutes, but it was about five blocks away from Rand Grove. Rand Grove was Palatine's uh, subsidized housing. You know, you get older, you find out this, that all the black people in Palatine, this, you know, rich suburb. Lived in one place. Yes, you know, because Palatine is next to Barrington and next to Schaumburg, and, and they are the wealthiest neighborhoods. Counties. Yeah, counties in, mm-hmm. in after, you know, Chicago. Sure. That's why I say, you know, before I go on that, I will always appreciate my mom for moving us there because she gave us the opportunity to 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 be who I am today and to experience those things but if you're a fashion model fashion designer artist or a small business and you're looking to showcase your skills talents or services reach out to April Abib and let Ada Morte Entertainment handle all your services needs so let's talk let's talk about that a little bit would you say that it was a pretty smooth run for you in the suburbs um, growing up? Yeah, I would say that it was a pretty smooth run for me. I, I, I fit in the category of the token black guy. Gotcha. Uh, meaning in, in, in every situation, I mean, I was just that, uh, for all the popular white guys, you know, they always had to have me around, you know, and I was did was good at sports as well. So, so that helped out a lot. It did, it did, you know. So let me ask you, so you had some, uh, obviously, so you're pretty much coming of a man era was in the suburbs with a lot of white friends and um, a lot of white practices. Were there cultural differences that you were um, uncomfortable with, or did you just kind of accept the way that people were? And if you were with it, you were with it. And if you weren't, you weren't. How'd, how'd, how'd you, like your teenage years, like how did you find yourself? Definitely. Um, I would say uh, growing up, uh, I did definitely put myself now in in a a lot of racist situations to which I was just uh, okay with to the point where I remember one instance, uh, Nick Brosio, um, his dad pulled me aside and said, Monroe, you know, you aren't like the rest of them, you Mm -hmm. know, and he let me know that he was racist, but not towards me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had that growing up happen to me probably like at least about six times Wow! to the point where, you know, it, it became where if I uh, was just a good person, then no one would see race. Wow. You know, and, and it, it really did affect me outside of outside of high school. You know, after, you know, the, 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 the scholarship that I had, you know, it affected me there with talking to other um, African-American males, you know, thinking that I was rich because where mm-hmm. I came from and, mm-hmm. you know, or or just um, one instance where one wanting to slap box and that's not where, like, I was brought up being like, okay, well, you didn't have to slap box to be, be a man. And so now I'm being challenged, you know, and it just, it just affected me a lot, you know, and because then at those instances cause then other African-American males to then have their opinions. And, and we're going to, and we're going to get to your interaction with other black males as well. Um, but I want to kind of circle back to your statement. Cause I think that's powerful um, coming from, you know, the gray area looking out where a white male adult figure pulls you to the side and said, Hey, listen, you're not like the rest of them. Definitely. Now, them meaning other black folks yep okay so i'm thinking about the psychology behind that right i'm thinking about the conditioning behind that right like i hear it 
And yeah, I, I think I could take offense to that if I wanted to. Like, what do you mean I'm not like them? You know what I mean? Like, I can, I can really see some of uh, some offense being taken. However, I think it kind of did you a favor. You know, like, did you do you feel like you know having a white male mentor uh, speak life into your situation kind of make you feel like okay, I'm not like the rest of them, so let me not act like the rest of them. Definitely, you know, and I, I think what um, because I have friends now who I had to apologize to because of the level of um, I'm not like them. Like uh, I, I had a mentor. Her name is Nancy Gribbis. She was a great lady. I saw her this Thanksgiving. Um, I remember one instance of being in the hallway and um, she yelling from down the hall telling me to get away from Valente and get away from Mookie. So mm. uh, the level of how they told me um, kind of set up that I was this special person, what it felt like. you know, and then it, it's, it's especially with, you know, getting like the scholarship and stuff, you know, they, they set it up like I was a special person. So at the time, uh, to answer your question, uh, at the time, I would definitely say that I felt I felt prideful. Sure. In that I, I felt like I wasn't the rest of them, but naturally you know. so. Like, like, like you're you're literally given like a yellow brick road almost. Definitely, you know, and and I, I do where it comes complicated with my 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 other black friends, you know, because you can always be the special, and they. But where it came became toxic is that I was doing the same things they were, uh -huh. like I was stealing, and I got suspended from. Uh, in high school, my freshman year, I stole a cell phone. I got suspended my sophomore year for eight eight games. Now, I didn't wasn't really half of anything, you know. Sure. Uh, freshman and sophomore year, but then my my sophomore year, I joined AAU and started to get really really good. Gotcha. <laughs> and gotcha. so I stole um, some things my sophomore year and got suspended from all sports my junior year. Oh. Now, um, sitting there in the meeting with, I had this one coach who i can fully say now like he was really 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 racist now sure. <laughs> before when i was a kid i thought i just had to run a little fast so i'm sitting in the meeting room and he's like you're just not showing any remorse you're just basically i'm just one of them like he he, he even said it once and, and looking back now all the other white people in the room being like you uh, can't say that now we understand what you're saying but sure. you can't say that now so I still chose to be on the team. Five games in the basketball season, they came to me and said, um, the reason why they suspended me, um, I really shouldn't have got suspended, and now I'm eligible to play. Interesting. So a lot of so when I mean that they told me that I was different, it, it's not so much just in, in words. It was also in actions. Sure. Well. And d did you at the time feel like you were doing them a favor or they were doing you a favor? I felt like they cared about me. Okay. So you, know, you felt like they cared about yeah, you. And, and, did and you learn differently? After I left there, I sure. learned that life is not the, I'm not the chosen one. <laughs> sure, sure. And we'll, and we'll know, dive, we'll dive into that. Know. So. So your junior year now, yeah, uh, five games in, mm -hmm. you're, you're back. back on the roster. I'm back, and you went to uh, summer of AAU, right? Yep. Or, or two summers at this point of AAU. Yep, and with that, um, my black friends, my African American friends, mm -hmm. uh, Valente, and a couple of others were also on the team. Okay, now from freshman year, they made it. Mm. Sophomore year, coach set us up in the pregame to go against each other. And so I won. So then they 
they stopped playing after sophomore year. Wow. They did the same exact thing. Now, now they um, got caught stealing in lockers. Sure. And Valente, he got sent to an alternative school. Sure, sure. And um, um, uh, Justin, he uh, he got suspended, but he got suspended indefinitely for the year. Wow. I was the only one who— That kind of got that grace. Yeah. But, but now, it, mind you, you've already had how many years in this city? At this particular time, like four years? At this particular time, I've been going to that school since, I've been in Palatine since about fourth grade. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So you kind of, like, they kind of know you. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, you're kind of, mm-hmm. obviously, you're the only black kid, right? And Definitely. And you're, you're, you're probably a big kid, too, right? Were oh. you a little bit bigger than the most kids? I, 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 I was bigger than, than most kids, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So so now, so now you kind of got this little favor, we mm-hmm. like to call it, right? A little favor, a little black privilege, if you will, yeah, right? Yes, it did. And it was definitely black privilege because one of the things I forgot to uh, mention is that growing up, I was um, seeking attention. And so in that town, Palatine, I got a, I got arrested probably, you know, before um, it gets dropped off. <laughs> I got arrested probably about 16 times. Wow. So in, in seventh grade, I was, you know, taking. You were just doing things. I was, you know, and in seventh grade, um, I remember this instance, I stole from a teacher. And after I stole from the teacher, um, I, I ended up getting arrested, you know. And when we were at the court, um, the judge said, uh, the teacher asked to speak. And so when he asked to speak, he said, sir, I don't want anything to happen to this kid. The only thing I want him, the only thing if I want him to do is to, after school every day, to, to, to meet with me for an hour. Wow. And so it was just things like that. And was that granted? It was granted. Wow. Yeah, it was granted. Yeah. So So you had a so you had a white male mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Step up for you. Definitely, definitely. And say, "Hey man, you're not like the rest of them." Definitely, definitely. And I'm going to put my neck on the line to prove to you that I believe in you definitely. and you're not like the rest of them. Definitely. So what happened from that point? Did you did you take advantage of that grace from, or did you fumble point, it again? From that point, I did. <laughs> take, I, I, I was because I was in seventh grade and then from eighth grade, I, um, <laughs> I, I ended up writing, put pens on the wall and, and stuff, just, just 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 seeking attention. Sure. And the vice principal, uh, he was just amazing. You know, he told me, you know, this is your last chance. It shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have walked with them. It was just an eighth grade graduation, yeah, but sure. I mean, still. But he told me, you know, I'm sticking my neck out on the line for you. And then he gave me basically a week uh, in-house suspension instead of basically expelling me for that. And so, Dope. and then when I went on to high school, he's the one who talked to all the, because he wanted me to play basketball so, um, because I didn't make the team seventh and eighth grade, but he's the one who went and encouraged me and, and had me practice. And so when I went to high school, he went to the high school and let them know about me. Before. Wow. So yeah. he, so this white male coach yeah. or teacher, coach, right, mm-hmm. that put his neck out on the line for you Definitely. in court, also went to high school to preface Definitely. that you were a special individual. And he told me the only thing that he wanted is to uh, be in attendance of my high school graduation. Dope. Yeah. And was he? He, I, at the time, it was. Your life was a little chaotic? He was not because I was like, I was the 
first biggest recruit in high school of Palatine. So every, okay, well, well, before yeah, we get there, before we get there, for sure. okay, before we get there. So so thanks for asking that question. So I guess that's a great segue into the senior year then. Yeah. So so high so you're, you're transitioning to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's move from freshman. Um, you you were varsity at junior year then you uh, became varsity n- no no i, I did I, I was still uh because i just played i didn't play football okay i played basketball and so i was just jv i didn't okay he didn't let me okay. come so football came senior year yeah f- football and everything yeah came senior year what uh, yeah, so I, one year yeah. so one year of football yeah it is uh, all right let's talk about this senior year then so senior year comes senior year comes you didn't uh, you didn't had some you didn't had some blessings definitely you didn't got some second definitely. chances well i want to give here because i didn't in high school and i'm sorry a shout out to dickie simpkins because what happened was is at the end of junior year dickie simpkins I'm, hold on i the Simpkins? The Dickie Simpkins, yeah. The Dickie Simpkins. I have his phone number right here. Shut the front door. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so so, so shout out to Dickie. Yeah, I met Dickie Simpkins. um, He, uh, I met him at the end of my junior year. He looked at me and I was like, this skinny kid. And he said, I'm going to get you a scholarship. And so I I started playing. He put me through a rigorous um, trainings, activities. I was part of his first ever um, AAU team before now it's multi-million dollar big what and so um senior year I actually during the summer get a phone call from University of Massachusetts Lowell a division two powerhouse and they said that they want me to go to their school and offer me a scholarship wow and and um so I shout out to Dick because in high school after I got the scholarship to Purdue I kind of never gave him his recognition and sure so yeah. Right on. But um Well shout out Dickie for uh seeing something in a young male definitely. and speaking up and man, speaking out and acting out. Definitely. He's he's, he's the the best man who who I've ever gotten a chance to, to speak with. So you dropped the nugget on yeah. us, you just said Purdue. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I assume <laughs> that, that caught that high school year went well in football and now the uh, the tricky part to it is that you know they tried to tell me what to do because mm-hmm. they they have viewed me as their creation versus you know and, and so this is where it got tricky and so, yeah man that does get tricky yeah so I actually got um, received about ninety eight scholarships football and basketball yes but I, I only went on one official visit which was Purdue I was um you know I was told it you know because I was the biggest recruit there so at the time I was like oh well they know what they're talking about just sure. go here you gotta trust somebody right yeah you know definitely and so I was very fortunate um to, to then sign the letter of intent and once I signed the letter of intent um we got an offer to take out a loan for Chase Bank and so I took out a loan for my family of forty five thousand dollars and um, then my mom, she bought a car, and so she bought a Chrysler 300 uh, Phantom. It was pretty nice. Kind of, it was kind of interesting because, you know, she told me she was going to move, and so I did it for them to move and have a new place. But sure. they didn't end up moving. She ended up buying a car. And so hmm. when I then drove that car to school, that's when then I can look back and start to see where things were starting to be south. And so um, after the football season, they told me that they couldn't work with me anymore. Um, because they've had other kids toward which they had to look after. And so I, I agreed with that. And so then I, I did go to the Y with one of my friends and actually steal something. But mm-hmm. very fortunately, 
the person didn't want to press any charges, so I was able to go to Purdue. You know, he didn't even talk to me about sure. it. And so um, once I got to Purdue, and then that's when I realized, I started to realize I wasn't black enough. I, I didn't have the right words. I didn't, you know, and Palatine would do this thing where I was just, they made me a nice black man to so they can mold me but they knew if they made me a nice black man they would then have to do things to make me mad so during like practices and stuff they would say things like oh hey monroe um this team thinks that they can block you oh this team thinks they can block you they probably can and so then i would get mad and and then do things right now fast forward when i get to purdue my coach williams um he's He's saying, you know, because I go through four coaching changes. So Coach Williams is saying, hey, Monroe, it's opposite day. You're physical. So it's like it's a different form of communication. So I'm looking at it mm-hmm. at Purdue like, oh, man. And so he's saying that as a joke. But as a as a thinking with the thinking I got from Palatine, it's hurting my feelings sure. versus Coach Williams is like, that's what I would say to a black man who needs to feed his family. Like, that's the that's the biggest thing. Like I I, I saw, you know. Wow. That's you know, that's an interesting perspective. You know, it's not very often um, I and particularly have heard a black man say in any situation where he felt he wasn't black enough. You know what I'm saying? Usually it was too black. Right. Um, Being Mm -hmm. shot at or uh, pulled over all the time or, you know, all the stereotypical, you know, driving while black or whatever. Um, So when you when you went through that emotional um, revelation, if you will, or um, that you just didn't feel black enough, like what happened? What happened to you at that point? Like, did you um, obviously, you know, we're here and. Um, our paths crossed for whatever reason. So there was something that happened at that point, I'm sure, where you realized, okay, Palantine, uh, Palantine kind of uh, uh, set me up for failure, so to speak. Definitely. Did it, was that was that kind of how you felt? It is exactly how I felt. W- what happened exactly is I lost my confidence. Sure. And 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 being a a black man, not even being a black man, but being a person who is one of. Um, 1,050 kids to sign a letter of intent mm-hmm. uh, on a, a dream who were which he shouldn't even have been playing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. When I started playing football my senior year, I was two weeks late. My coach had said no, or or when I was there, I was second string. And, and just because a white man messed up, looking back now, <laughs> about 6'6", six, six, dude, because mm-hmm. a white man messed up, and, and, and I then took advantage of that. Then I, I that was the only reason why I then started that season, you know, started the first game and took off. You right. know? So what it did was it killed my confidence uh, to anything, sure. to, 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 to walking sure. down the street, because now you don't have what the white man wants as far as a product productability, um, as far as, you know, um, being a symbol, as far as the entertainment. And you don't have. The skills mm-hmm. to be a black man as far as talking, as far as, you know, walking into mm-hmm. a, um, an establishment and being like, well, I'm not a football player. I'm just Monroe Brooks, right. you know, and, and, and right. that's where you see the 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 uh, that what Palatine did. And and so just uh, to let you know, um, about two years after I, I go to uh, a camp after I feel ashamed, I feel like I let them all down, you know, uh, sure. I, I go to a camp. And then the head coach, Coach Donnelly, he's uh, he's there, 
and he pulls me aside afterward and he says, Monroe, I'm sorry. And for years, I never understood what he meant until I was about 27 and 28. And it's just, he knew that they left me. Right. He knew that they right. established that I needed them. They knew my dad was was mm-hmm. was drunk and not going to come to the the game sure. senior year. My sure. my my mom was out uh, cheating on my dad, and and I walked with Ryan's parents, mm-hmm. and and and, and mm-hmm. coach the next day was like Monroe. I ran outside because I had a horrible game. He's like Monroe. I ran outside and I was looking for you because I understood. Mm-hmm. So so they knew, you know, and then for them to you know. Just drop it off, you know. Well, that's interesting. So, so it was recognizable. Definitely, what happened to you? Definitely. Um, did you, you know? So you're what now? You said about twenty four, twenty five, mm-hmm. and and Purdue, or um, when you went to this camp, right? This, was it a yep. football camp? It, it was a football camp. It was a Palatine High School football okay. camp. Okay, so yeah, um, so you were, you know, you were back. You went back, mm-hmm. right after your Purdue stint. You went back to Palatine. Yeah, um, did. Anybody, you know, apologize to you? Did anybody say, "Hey, man, uh, sorry you didn't make it"? Or yeah. was it ridicule? Was it chastisement? Was it mockery? Um, what What happened Definitely when you went home. back home? Yeah, I would say um, I, I talked to Mrs. Gribbish. Well, well, first, M- Mr. Daly, um, he was my mentor toward like senior, junior, senior year. He uh, paid for my phone bill, and he would like pay for me trips to go back and forth from to home you know so he was a sponsor for your essentially uh, yeah, yeah you know but he he was my friend first you oh, know? okay gotcha gotcha and um he cut me off <laughs> so he stopped texting me stopped calling me stopped paying for the phone and so uh i was like okay and so then i then go to my mrs gribbish who was my mentor from freshman year and you know and she let me you know cry and stuff and she was like monroe it's okay but one of the things she was saying the reason why I couldn't talk to her for years is because she was saying, Monroe, you know, it's okay. You know, we all did think you were going to make it to the NFL. You know, we did, but it's okay. You know, and it's just that constant, you know, mm. what they thought, you know. So Miss Gribbis, she, she was nice. So I, I told her in that moment, hey, you know, I uh, want to make you happy, you know, one day. You know, it's just that thought process, you know. So let me ask you, you know, I, I hear a lot about, um, I hear when I hear you speak, I hear you speak a lot about what the teachers wanted, what the coaches wanted, what mm-hmm. Palatine wanted, what the Monroe mm-hmm. Brooks want at that time. Just to, did you want football at the professional level? Because I, mm-hmm. you know, like was that like in your in your vision and your scope yeah, yeah. of goals? I would say you know I, I didn't know what Monroe wanted. Uh, I, I think at the time and what I still currently hold near and dear to my heart is just I just wanted my family to be okay so right on. I, I thought if I went to the NFL that everybody would be okay so let me ask you when you got to this point where you realized that you weren't um necessarily going to make it to the pros um you got the $45,000 loan your mom didn't buy the house she bought a car instead um you're back in Palatine now 20 some years old What's going through your mind at this point as far as, you know, your identity? You know what I'm saying? Like, definitely. Like, where, like, where are you at? Because there's still your skin color is still your skin color. Did you did you find any complications with employment? Did you did you go through that situation? Because that, you know, where, where, where were you at? 
After Purdue, uh, you know, I, I did make the mistake of, you know, uh, after I got hurt, taking two cell phones and $45. Um, and that led to two Class D felonies and um, a misdemeanor. And wow, so, yes. That's crazy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so, um, so then what happened after that is then going back to Palatine, my mom, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me. My mom, first, her first words were, um, your brother's going to show you how to do it, you know, because I had a little brother who was an expiring football player. Um, he didn't make it to the NFL, but mm-hmm. uh, expiring football player. And so just, just being there, I would have, I first started to have arguments with my mom as far as, you know, I didn't, I didn't make it. I, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know, you know, how, you know, we're on the link card, we're on this government funding that we're not going to be on, you know, soon, you know, and just having those arguments. But, um, <clears throat> Most importantly, you know, I, I I I never lost track of the fact that, you know, I wanted to progress. So I, I did apply then to go to Western Illinois. It's funny now, I didn't know that I was going to get in, but nice. Purdue University of Western Illinois, <laughs> I was a shoe-in. But so I, I went to Western Illinois and uh, I struggled there to find my identity. I joined, uh, you know, a, a fraternity, sure. um, Pi Kappa Alpha. It's not Dope. the, everybody thinks it's the... <laughs> I would have joined, you know, African American fraternity, but I joined Pi Kappa Alpha. I'm Phi Theta Kappa. All right, all right, (laughs) right. So I ended up doing that, and then, um, you know, from from there, I I would say when I truly found out that I wasn't now white enough, is I did have the opportunity to. uh, I started a business, you know, late in 2011. We we ran it. It was Service Direct. We delivered McDonald's products, Walmart products, and um, we we had a vision, or I had a vision. And so at the time, you know, I worked with some of my fraternity members and just letting them know, hey, I got this vision. This is what it's going to be. It was just so many just knows how it's going to work, and I had to fine tune my pitch so much to where which it answered every doubt in the first three sentences. Right, and you know we we. And then I ended up running it from the fraternity house and once uh, it kind of got toxic for them because for me, because they wanted to more money, more, 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 more control. And and because they didn't think that I can do it. Then I chose to um, go bring my idea to it was uh, a company called the Computer Source. I brought it to them in the summer when I was thinking about, you know, making a directory. And they actually took the idea and ran it during the fall. So when we saw it, yeah, yeah, during the school. So then during the spring, when I when I started it, just with (laughs) just flyers and uh, um uh, delivery driver, we actually had in the first month 200% more than they did. So I brought that information back to them and said, well, let's partner up. And so it was only, I only took myself and the delivery driver. Now, when I found out that they were actually conspiring behind my back, the people in the computer source, they were saying, you know, I misspoke a word or something. And they uh, were like, I don't know that word, but I know waka flocka. So I found out I wasn't white enough. I thought, you know, what high school taught me was, okay, you can be in those rooms as long as you're a good person mm-hmm. and just and speak, you know, like you have some sense. Not even mm-hmm. have to speak 100% like uh, proper. One way or another, know? just... Just speak. You just yeah. have to be a good person, you know. And so just finding out in those instances that it wasn't about me being a good person or, or how I was. It was that... Because I said this this way, my color dictated this is what I was thinking about. Ain't that crazy? Right. And so then later then for the summer, then I went back home 
because I couldn't partner with them, and there was no business during the summer. I went back home to my mom, back to Palatine, and she kind of, uh, you know, I told you so, and soaked up all of her stuff, and so then I stayed there for two years, and then dabbled on starting it on and off, on and off, but once I fully saw Grubhub and, and um, DoorDash, and all of them, that's when it kind of uh, left my heart. It's, I mean, it still has it, a, it was like a stab in the heart. Definitely, you know, and, and just to know that, you know, when I was bringing it to my friends, because all of them, uh, my friends are like Neely Foods. Um, this is a million dollar company now. And, you know, um, um, all my friends had had parents had, you know, just these bukus of money and just bringing it to them and, you know, making the uh, 75 page business plan and showing them the profits, the returns. Wow, and these you did things. all of that. I did all those things, you know, and then for them to look at me and say, it's you know, it's not going to work. Essentially, what my mom told me, you know, my mom, she had seven thousand dollars she got from some way. And and I asked her, you know, like, would you invest in service direction? She said, you know, Udi, maybe if you showed somebody you were serious, Mm. then they would. And that's my own mom, you know. And so my mom letting me know I'm not. Did you you know know what your mom meant when she said, you know, if you were just took something serious, maybe I'd invest in you. Did you know what she meant by that? Like, did you have I an didn't inkling? Know what she meant, yeah. Like, did you did. feel like you didn't take your situation seriously um, growing up? Looking back at it, you know, because I think about it a lot, I feel as though, for what I learned in that instance and and the pain that I've been through, I gave a hundred and ten percent to that. Mm-hmm. And um, what I needed was someone to believe in me. Right. And so, being on the being black, but also getting fitting in a category of having more love from the white people, those that's the first people who I went to. You know, hey, I got this idea. Hey, we've been buddy buddies. Hey, we're friends. And those, those instances is, when I, is where I learned that we're not the same. It's just not white you enough. You know, if I'm not dribbling a basketball and have an idea on how to dribble the basketball better, then, then I should really just keep my mouth closed, you know? Wow. And you know the sad part about it is that um, – now I can go to downtown Chicago, Gold Coast, and hang out with them, and they will look at me and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you had, I, they, they've said it to me numerous times. You, you had Uber. You had DoorDash. Wow. You know, and just to know that, you know, how I've coped with it later in life is that even if I would have started it, I, I, it wouldn't have gone off because I was not white enough. That's interesting. And that's why I feel like Mixed in America is such a huge platform, right? Definitely. Because let's just think about this. Not being black enough, not being white enough, it's a topic that needs to be discussed. And I really, really, really thank you for sharing your perspective because I'm telling you, I can scream this till I'm blue in the face. There's good white people. There's good black people. There's bad black people. There's bad white people. People are people, right? The righteousness behind what it takes to truly bring out the best of somebody. You have to be colorblind. You truly have to look at somebody's soul. A soul has no color. It has a vibration. It has a frequency, right? 
Um, so again, this is mixed in America. My name is Damien. Um, and I am so glad to be here today and having this conversation. And I, I, I thank Mr. Monroe Brooks for, uh, blessing us with his story and, thank um, you, man. yeah, man, no doubt. So, you know, I, I know, I just know that there was a time span in our society where you weren't this enough or th- and I, and I'm glad Definitely. to have a black man's perspective on where he wasn't white enough. Now let's talk about friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you said in, in, in conversation that you didn't feel black enough with your friends. Definitely. Yeah. How's, how challenging has it been not being black enough for your black friends? I think, um, in high school it was, it was definitely difficult because, um, they would, when they ventured off in the selling drugs, or if they wanted to, you know, sell nothing hard, but if they wanted to sell marijuana and such, they would ask, hey, Monroe, won't you talk to your white sure. friends? And then sometimes I would initiate that process, and then they would get scammed, and then they'd be like, see, this is why I don't hang out with them, or I'm not going to do that, you know? And then the, uh, the. So a black friend yeah. asked you as a medium mm-hmm. to hook them up with your white friends. Yep. And because they were white friends, but weren't their white friends, mm-hmm. your black friends took advantage of your white friends. Yep, yep. Boy, yeah, I know that feeling. That's happened, you know, multiple times. One time I had um, Brong, you know, Valente and Quadarius over to um, my fraternity house, and they stole my uh, frat brother's wallet, brought a gun mm-hmm. to, you know. So over the years, I do not, I can honestly say, as it states right now, I do not have any African-American friends. And as it states right now, I probably have only um, two Caucasian friends, but a lot of people know me, you know, you know, sure. a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm it's a hard not to know guy, you, you know, <laughs> you're, you're a very nice Definitely, guy, man. You know, like your vibe was imme- immediately uh, reciprocated Definitely. Um, from the moment we met in ethics class and um, you walk around campus and you're smiling all the time and you're kind and you're polite. So, you know, hindsight being 2020, you were a kid, man. Yeah. Being led. Definitely. You know? Um, <laughs> By myself, that's a crazy... <laughs> you know, like... Feelings, yeah. So, you know, like, we we can't necessarily take the past, but what we can do is we can take the lessons and the blessings of the past and put them right in front of our face so that we never forget and use them as building blocks for a foundation and Definitely. to stand on, right? Man, I, I truly feel like um, retribution is for those that are resilient enough. Definitely. Right. Um, I don't think we lose unless we quit. We are enough if we say so. And it doesn't matter the skin color. Definitely. And I think that's the bottom line of this show is that um, I'm a huge advocate for, you know, color doesn't matter. But a lot like you, I can't act like it doesn't exist. So, again, Monroe, it has been an absolute pleasure, man. I really, really appreciate you taking this time and sharing your story. And I look forward to hearing more about you, um, you know, as we grow. I look forward to having you back on the show potentially, you know. Is there anything else at all before we leave that you want to say? Any any other piece you want to make? Any other... You know, thank yous or apologies or anything you want to give out. Uh, just thank you uh, for having me, for giving me the platform to to speak. I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, man, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks, Monroe. I appreciate you. Um, I'll make sure to get this out to you as soon as possible. Life is not so black and white, and there is too much gray area not to talk about it. 
Thank you for listening. Look forward to having you back next time as we discuss truth, facts, and experience exposing the gray areas and stereotypes behind America herself. You know, so those are some of the struggles raising multicultural children, in my opinion, in this in this country of America, is that there is that divide still, and it comes from close to the child. And I, I hope that this podcast will allow us to uh, put some exposure on some of that, because some of us are still dealing with it more than others. 